Greetings. This is Quantum Leap Book Club, and I'm your host, Parisha, today. And with me are my co-hosts. We have Steve Jones of Kingman, Arizona. We have Trina Cooper of Denver, Colorado, Marianne Love of Melbourne, Australia, and we have LOA of actually the beautiful part of what we see in the ads of Australia, and that would be Sydney, Australia, right? We Everybody win that quest? We're very happy to have you with us as we continue to go through the amazing experience in book with Morjani. Lisa Morjani actually brings us through Dying to Be Me, and I want to actually today have our co-host, after we cover a few of the chapters, to actually share with you and me some of the experiences they're having with knowing this information and how, if anything, that's changing their perspective and their manner of taking on each day. So let us begin today with actually starting with seeing some of the, uh, not just the death experience itself, but the laughter life, I call it, the real afterlife is the experience of being in body and alive and how the effects of that experience actually affects everything that you actually had before it all happens becomes different. I can only tell you in my own experiences, it was like going away and coming back as somebody different because you are aware of everything that changes inside of you when you know truth. And that would be the greatest outcome we want for you, our listeners, is to actually come to an understanding of what we are looking at that we call death and actually come to understand in reality, we're already there. We're not in, we're with body and we're working with body, which is not the same in as much as death says we are out of body, okay? But that actually the what we consider life and consciousness being that life, it is one and the same. And once we begin to taste that, touch that, or even hear that, believe it or not, okay, does it matter whether you accept it or not? We're not trying to change anyone's particular perspective on beliefs. We're just asking you to open your mind and look at some other things and seeing where you go with it after that, okay? So we're going to start today, and we're going to let Marianne Love there in Melbourne actually begin covering for us, and we're doing the chapter 12, 11, and 10, or 10, 11, and 12, okay? Marianne? Yeah, this, this is such a wonderful book, such an easy read. I'm just loving loving the time with this book, um, and I feel like it really is changing me. So, um, And so... The first chapter 10 is all about proof of her healing. So she came back into wellness and the doctors were basically not believing her and put her through rigorous testing to try and find the cancer that she knew was already healed and healing in the body. And they actually couldn't find any cancer as much as they looked and prodded and did surgeries and did things. They they put her through chemo and she said that was for their own needs, not hers. You'll see that on page 86. Um, and because she knew fundamentally she was healed, they did like bone marrow biopsies, put her through that pain only to find nothing there. So, I mean, she came back with a profound transformation. Um, what stood out to me on page 85 was that she, when she came, when she could get up and, and get to a bathroom and a mirror, she looked in the, in the mirror and saw herself for the first time and she was really shocked to see how pained and how sick she had actually looked. And what stood out to me was that she had profound empathy for herself and felt so sorry almost for the person in the mirror and that she vowed to never put herself through that again, never to do that to herself again. Um, so it was almost like a compassionate, loving grief is what I got out of reading that, um, which I found really moving as well. And and so, you know, amazingly, after only about five weeks of um, returning from basically a death state, she left the hospital. In six weeks, she was going out for dinner. And in seven weeks, she was at a friend's wedding dancing and drinking and feeling joy and the abandon of life, like amazing, amazing turnarounds. Um, and in Chapter 11, 
you know, obviously it was a surprising turnaround. So people were really shocked to see her alive Um, and they couldn't, many couldn't really hide it, particularly her yoga teacher who had really seen her decline over the years as well. Um, And, you know, she, on page 94, you'll see she just couldn't find words to explain like what she'd been through um, and the rapid healing, the miracle-like healing. She she just didn't have words yet. Um, but what helped her was Anoop found a website about near-death experiences. And when she read those stories, she could really identify almost for the first time with other people's experience that was similar to hers. And it helped start to give her some language and to formulate, you know, to digest really what she'd gone through. Um, and... On page 95, you'll see that what people spoke about was like a a oneness, feeling clarity, feeling we're all connected, that on the other side, that there is just overwhelming, unconditional love and that they spoke about meeting loved ones like she had done um, and being cared for by them and that there was this universal understanding and knowledge. So this inspired her to write her story up. And so she did and posted it on there on that near-death experience website. And she got a reply back saying, it might take a few weeks for them to respond. But that didn't happen. And you'll see on page 96, the the guy that owned the website was an oncologist. He like responded straight away. By the next morning, there was a response from him and he was fascinated by a story. And the word got out to um, eventually a doctor called Dr. Peter Coe from an oncologist from the US um, received her information from two different sources and so decided to read about it. And he was so intrigued by it. He got on a plane and flew over to Hong Kong. You'll see on page 97 and met with her um, and went through all her hospital records and because he wanted to know, like, was, what's the truth of this? Is this like a sort of miracle remission or is this, you know, treatment? Did she get through chemo or something? And what he found after scrutinising her file deeply was that he could not put it down to the chemo that they put, put her on. He said that there was a miraculous medical recovery. And so he got the information out to the uh, medical community. He wrote it up and he he presented it in conferences. Um, He invited her to come along and speak. And this started to open the doors for her um, and start to get her story out. Um, In what what really stood out to me, though, in Chapter 7, so where she's, she even calls it seeing life through with new eyes. And I, it sounds to me exactly what it was. It's almost like these are my words, not hers, but it's almost like a neural upgrade that she went through and came back different. Like she felt high and euphoric for months and she everything appeared beautiful and wonderful and everything that was even mundane was magic, like furniture she had in herself forever that she never really looked at, like, became like beautiful the woodwork was amazing like she was amazed at the human body like being able to drive a car I mean it was just like just like being like she even said herself it's like being born again um and you know can you I guess you can imagine after four years of being sick and only focused on cancer and healing um and all these things suddenly she's well and plopped back in life and everyone starts to get on with their life. Her husband goes back to work. Mum goes back to India. Brother goes back. And now she's left kind of with herself and with life. Like she loves getting out in her car, driving around, going to markets. Like, you know, she's different. Like the sun rises more beautifully. The experience of eating chocolate ice cream is like divine. Like insects and animals, she couldn't kill them. They're so divine. Like everything's changed for her and and there were hard things in that her friends were different she couldn't identify with them she couldn't identify with their stories the mundane of it they're stuck in the rat race of life she didn't want to go back to any of that she had compassion for criminals um it was just life was so different and she had to find herself again Okay, let's hang out here a little bit with chapter 10 and what you're actually sharing. And actually my watching you as you're sharing what you're sharing, okay? And my own reaction to the book as well as my personal experiences, what you're sharing and the reaction in you, why isn't that just normal to us? Do you understand why 
like what she covers very well in this book and what I've tried to make sure people understand, you don't have to die. You don't have to come to a near death experience or even have a complete death experience to actually come to this. In this time that we're in and the, and the date and presence of now, we're asked to actually begin to contemplate and think about things that we need to become aware of. So consciousness is exactly what she's what Marjani's sharing here. The consciousness of what we have suddenly become numb to and indifferent to. All the things you're expressing that she she come to be excited about and 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 in wonderment about and and just joyously participating in things. And how at this point we see that as a death experience. No. What I would like our listeners to begin to look at is this is experiencing life. There's no need to have death to remind us of that. But how do we see the holidays, the lights of the holiday, or the the happiness and the playfulness of holidays, the gifting of holidays, the experience of feeling chocolate in the mouth, not just eating it, but feeling it, okay? And then... I watched you in actually looking at her revelations and appreciation of her body. Seeing herself in the mirror allowed her to experience compassion. Do you treat your body like that? Do you teach your patients to treat their body with compassion? This wonderful thing that we call a body and its magnificent intelligence its perfection, its ability to be whole and healthy. Do we acknowledge that? Are we looking at ads and trying to role model us from some model that looks like this or talks like that, or we're brainwashed to believe all the commercials of what will be coming to us in a bottle that's going to make the difference in how we live our life and have life? Look at what we're doing. I, the, the gift of more Johnny's book to me is allowing people to finally step back, take a look at life, just beautiful life, the privilege, the excitement of it, the renewal of it. We're looking into our world and seeing all of the horrors and the nightmares of what we're capable of. But to actually look in your mirror and acknowledge yourself as this beautiful, magnificent reflection of perfection as a body. Not saying that your your butt's too big, your legs are too skinny, your face is sagging, looking at timelines, looking at your hair, not liking that, trying to put on makeup to cover something. Just looking at it at its magnificence. And that's what Morjani expected to see when she looked in the mirror for the first time. The perfection of what she was feeling and not seeing the reflection that supported that. And to finally look at that with a humbleness, a caring, and a love of that body altar to say, I would never do that to you again. I would never allow this to happen to you again. To me, that's a full acknowledgement of her real awakening, that she is a soul, a spirit, and that the body is a trusted gift, a precious trusted gift that in most people's language says altar, not just a body, not something we can cast our woe is me upon, but the magnificence of a body that you will love and respect and want to nurture it, to take care of it, to praise it, and to celebrate it. And she covers that so well in this chapter. We see it as an awakening or a realization of her death experience. No, beloveds. Any one of us has come close to that will tell you. We actually begin to see after a while that it was always there. It was always there. Somewhere along the line, we become too busy to give the body time 
to languish it in a beautiful soak of bubble baths and senses and candles, to actually have oils and rubbed upon it, or to have some wonderful healing hands knead and, and move the flesh and allow you to feel that, to recognize it as a very precious, precious, unspeakable gift, to allow it to feel you, the observer or the soul, acknowledging it as a trusted trust for you to be with at this time. See, Lord Jani, come to see that many of us who've had the death life or the near life experience, you have to awaken now when you read her book to look with her words, applying them to yourself. And I saw you doing that, Marianne. As I watched you on my screen, I saw in your face actually being there with her those minutes, recognizing the harm and the hurt that the body had gone through. All of the prodding and the, the medicines and the chemo and everything else. And suddenly the soul of who she is recognized here is the body child. And look what has come of it. Look what I have neglected. Need you all to look at that. To love the body as the gift that it was and has been given. And to, to always assure it that you're here to take care of it and to acknowledge it, to nurture it. And to taste the chocolate is to experience its texture, the smoothness, the excitement of the mouth with all of the wonderful foods that you've come to like. Experience an orange from the feeling of it, not just the taste. To give time to these things. This is the gift of the book that you're saying is helping you change your perspective of life. Okay. I'm going to ask each one of the co-hosts to share your reflections on 10, chapter 10, and then we'll come back through and see how far we get with 11 and 12. Can we do that? That's good. All right, Steve, are you ready to kind of give us some reflection on your reaction to chapter 10? Yeah. Um, so after, you know, she did her, she came back from the, from the near-death experience, the first thing that she did was to look into the mirror as we were just talking about and and she she had a different perspective and she looked she really wondered how she could have let herself go so far how she could have caused herself because at that point she was seeing that it was herself that caused this that how could she have caused so much pain to to herself and she knew that in herself she knew that the cancer was gone. the The doctors gave her uh, and the chemotherapy. Now she didn't have the same effects that people usually have from it. She considered herself like invincible, and they did. They told her that cancer just doesn't disappear. So they did test after test after test, and they couldn't find any cancer. Finally, they took um, some tests from even the people they were sending her to were saying it doesn't even look like she they have cancer, but they still have them do the tests. Finally, they had to agree that there wasn't any. And um, after once you went through that those those battery of tests, and that was determined a week later, she actually went uh, onto a wedding and danced, drank champagne. Um, everyone was so surprised that she was. Um, you know, in that state, they just just a week after being close to death and being tested, she's out uh, with a new life and happy and dancing and and that's uh, and that's that's what I got out of the out of ten. And and that this is all good. The thing that comes to and the thing that I finally had to give up on is trying to get doctors to understand that. Even now, as well-documented, and Morjani is one of the high-documented, I mean, uh, most doctors will actually recognize her case as quoted in a lot of the medical training that gets stuff. They're still, they're still saying they doubt it. 
there there's still the majority that's saying it was the chemotherapy and the other things that happened they're 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 actually discounting that she actually died they just see it as she went in she you know they when they actually see it they see they resuscitated her because they had to do that because in the process of all of this healing that they did she had this experience would come back and the amount of people and audiences that i talked to and have brought this whole experience to in many in many ways they're afraid to believe it or they're just so hardwired they can't believe it but they all will come back. I don't really believe that. I don't really think that all that really happened. And if that happened, that was just some dream she went into or some coma that she was into. And, and it wasn't really an experience. And and you, I feel at least you, my co-host, what I love with being on the show with you is we're talking to each other and the experiences and the knowledge we've shared of how much more there is than what we are actually taught or know. You're talking about the average good person that's just doing everything they can to have at least a comfortable and safe life and how much they're missing because they don't go that next step to understand a lot more of it. This is what consciousness is. And like the doctors and the medical professionals that I talk to and, and throughout my own cases, I mean, even the doctor that was present and Steve, this was at a time you were actually in my life that I was in the hospital and went out. They had to do the resuscitation. They don't they don't want to even when you start trying to ask them questions about what you experienced in that. They they're very nervous and they shut you down. They don't want to talk about that. Then they'll dismiss that as, OK, that was just a, the mind working itself out. They have all the legitimate medical ways to jump out of that particular conversation into the next one. So I can understand what her doctors were going through and how grateful I am for the doctor that pursued and research her experience that actually finally had to admit to himself because he didn't come to prove her case. He come to actually put the questions to rest, which meant he didn't believe he was curious. But when he found everything that he had to look at, he had to go beyond the fact that the chemo didn't do this healing, that when she come back, there was no evidence that she needed any of that other than their limited, their limited thinking of what had to continue to go on. OK, and so, you know, in a world that we are today, this is something that I hope all of you make sure that you write up a good report and share this with people you might know personally, doctors, people who work in the health professions. You want that information to get up. And because it's something that isn't easily discussed, people become very uneasy with it. But in it, the science itself, especially now that we have entered into the age of technology, see, we can prove through the sciences such experiences and know that they're real. So we don't really need the doctors and their particular take on things to say this is real and this is how it is. And I'm, I'm happy she brought all of that up in this particular chapter. Okay, we're going to go over and let Trina... Trina, how did you come about? What did you take out of chapter 10? Well, for me, I mean, even just the title of it, Proof of Healing, um, it really made me think about how some people really need that proof. But inside of you, you just know you're healing. But others, like, for instance, with me, they thought I had breast cancer. They thought I had, I needed biopsies. They thought I needed to do this. I kept telling everybody just as she did in this chapter, I'm healing. I don't need these treatments. Um, and I did what she did. I went along with the doctors just so that I could prove that they, that they were wrong and what they were diagnosing. And that's how it came back. So I could personally relate to her saying, I know I'm okay. I know everything is fine, but still allowing the others who didn't believe to um, be able to do some of the things they needed to do in order to see it. But still, 
coming through this, when she looked in the mirror and the one thing where she said, my skeletal reflection, that really hit me. It's like, what do you look like when you waste away? And for her, the empathy, I could just feel the empathy she was having for a person in pain and coming from a place of knowing that this was created by herself or if others are sick, it's created by themselves. I just, I have empathy. I felt it for me. Like whenever I've had an issue, it's like, oh, you know, how could I have caused myself that much pain? If I really love myself, how can I do that? And then her thing that I'm never going to hurt myself again. That was a, that was such a strong statement. And I had to reflect a lot on that. That was one that was really, it's like, how do I hurt myself? Um, what does this, you know, what does it bring on? For instance, you know, if you get so stressed about something, what's the impact on my body? Another piece of it that really impacted me was when she started talking about how she had no fear of anything. She had no fear of the poison anymore, even though everyone who was administering the chemo to her had, po you know, they were protecting themselves totally. She no longer had that fear of the poison. She just knew whatever it was she needed to do, she needed to do. And then she realized she had fear of everything, how afraid of, of life she was. And I started reflecting on, you know, what things am I afraid of? Um, and I know I was afraid of a lot of things for a long time and have had to push through it. And I totally understand that past patterning can move you into that place. So I think that realization that the fear was destroying her was a big one that she came up with. The fear of everything was actually destroying her. Yet now she felt invincible and she couldn't even feel it anymore. And all these tests that she did, um, all the things that she knew about life now and being released after five weeks in a coma, even though nobody believed she was healing the way she was, she finally just said, no, I'm not doing any more of this stuff. And she knew, she said, I knew life was to be lived with joy and abandon. So just to have a good time to learn what you can to see the wonder in life. I've been wa walking around looking at everything going, wow, wow, why didn't I see this before? Or, you know, there, there were so many little nuggets in this, just this one little chapter about really how to change your perspective of life and how you feel about things. And you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be um worried about everything you don't need to be stressed you can feel invincible and you when you really know it inside then you create what you want to create so that's kind of what i took from this chapter good very very good it's very hard for any one of us to actually accept the responsibility of saying that in any illness or health problem that we have that we've brought it on through our thinking or our activities or or how we've eaten or how we haven't eaten or whatever. We're, the taking on the responsibility and being accountable to our situations of, of our own doing is very, very hard. And one of the, I feel one of the mountains that we have to climb and uh, acquire the, the level of intelligence it takes to admit that these things are brought on by our thinking and by how we actually react to that. And so with her actually sharing that, one of the particular um, presentations that I've listened to with her is the her take on that today is that she would have never allowed them to go ahead with the chemo and everything had she not already still was dealing as far as the body's conditioning of the doctors know best. And how most of the time, once we turn ourselves into the hands and the care of the system and the medical professionals, we, we are at the mercy of how far their intelligence or their knowledge goes. And knowing all of the doctors and working so long with medical professionals, they're limited to whatever level they actually graduated at.
and whatever they have to do to acquire credits to keep their licensing. And in most cases, they're so busy, they really can't deal, div, you know, dive into actually educating themselves to the new technology and the other sciences that take them far greater than where they have actually come from. And unfortunately, in today's colleges and medical institutions where doctors do go for their learning and practice, they still not given the options of what technology and science has come to know. So for us to actually look at that, I have great compassion for people who go into medicine wanting to heal and wanting to lift and cure suffering and actually not actually looking at whatever the patient's role has to work with and, and, and to look at it and to actually acquire the cooperation of educating them so they have an active role in the healing. And more Jani goes through like actually recognizing her state at that time and looking into where she was at, how she would have been made different choices and left the medical scene to actually recuperate at her own level of acknowledgement. And though, I mean, there were extensive weeks it still went on to where she was subjected to whatever the crude method that they were using to do that while all the time she was experiencing the fact of her wholeness and her wellness and that we we need to like right now i know that there's a lot of pressure in a lot of countries to where they're not allowing naturopaths and homeopaths to have a role in the healing process for people who are who have some very serious outcomes here and so I would hope that this is something, again, that we can support by sending our articles and people listening to our show would actually begin to send more, more statements to your officials saying that you want the option of looking into homeopathic, naturopathic remedies and actually looking at herbal possibilities before you have to look at the chemistry possibilities. And that I just feel her book stirs up all of that. So that's that's really good reflection on that. LOA, what did you get out of Ted? I really got from it the overall message that we're here to live joyfully and that it's up to us to create that. And also to do that is the very beginning of Chapter 10 when she is looking at herself and obviously she had a really different mindset before she looked in the mirror. So it was a shock. And it was that it, it brought to mind, if anyone's heard of this movie, there's a really simple movie called Think Pretty. And, again, it's a person who has a bump on her head and then thinks she's super beautiful and acts differently and confident and her world changes. So it reminded me of that, that as we think we are, then we can feel it and that's how our world changes. So as she was looking in the, looking at her body, she wasn't saying, I am that body, I am that, you know, that vessel that looks all skeletal, I am that. Uh, she was saying, I have this body and this is to care for. And I think that was quite a profound little step back. Then we can, even if we've got a cold, we don't say this is my cold or my, my you know, I've got this, it's, okay, my lungs have, th these lungs have some congestion. You know, if we can put that that little appreciation of these lungs, because then we're caring for those lungs. These lungs have congestion. Let's work with them. Um, so that's how it sort of started for me, that we, as you've mentioned, the body is a gift. And from that, as she says too, Every part of this is living days brand new. And I love the lines in there. And it reminded me of seeing my own children when the rubbish truck used to come really early in the morning. We'd be going, oh, the noise is waking us up. And then be like, rubbish truck, rubbish truck. And so excited that it came so close to the house. And seeing the joy that she's expressing and thinking of those little points in life so I can feel those feelings again. And I think that's a big part of Chapter 10 is if you've forgotten what they feel like, if you need to go back to a memory, if you need to recreate a new thing, I feel that Chapter 10 is these brand new eyes that she has in looking. And the power of that is it enabled her to overcome the doctors because if we are feeling down 
and a person of authority says to us, it's not possible that your cancer is gone. We may not have enough oomph inside us to say, sorry, that's your belief. My knowing is different. And she doesn't say she believed. She said, I know the results. And she shared that in another part of the book as well. She knew that whether it was that the results of the test had already been done. And she said she knew that the outcome of that test to either say she was going to die of organ failure or her organs had picked back up was based on the decision she was to make. And as I said, the test had already been done. And that goes back to other book that we've read on this great Quantum Leap book club as well about how our thoughts right now are not only changing right now, but they change the previous, the present and the future. So I got that again as a good reminder in the book that whatever happened yesterday is yesterday. What I do today and right now is today, but also what I do today can influence yesterday. And currently, you know, we're, we're doing those practices where we know as we redo it in our mind and think it and feel it, it has that effect. And I really saw from what she was saying that the strength in her conviction is knowing that if she is sure, then it is the outcome. And we see it in this chapter. She went to the, um, the person to find her lymph nodes to do the scan. And he's like, I'm really confused. Just wait here. And she's like, is everything okay? And by now she's going to get an inkling of what, what this means when people come in and say, well, we're a bit worried about your results. And he says, wait. He gets onto the oncologist and apparently the oncologist insisted, and that's in italics, insisted that he find a lymph node to biopsy, which they didn't did. Comes back clear again. So there's nothing that they can do to be able to say, here's the the cancer is gone, it's all done. And so that's part of that process that they go forward and is that constancy of being able to say, this is who I am and you're not telling me. And then I reflected in my own life, are there times where you really think you're believing in something, but then you allow yourself to step back and say, oh, maybe they've got a point there. And that's what she's not doing. And I think that's a big message to us as well. It is, it is, it is. We're definitely there. And the whole thing, and it's one of the things that Marianne had shared also, is actually the longevity, the time. I mean, we're talking about years of suffering here. We're not just talking about a short period of four, six months. Okay, we're talking about years that her body was depreciating. And one of the things that stands out in some of her more recent work and sharing is how the charts, I actually have taken, had friends help me acquire different charts on her situation and at at that time. Her body organs, her life support system of itself had already given away. See, the doctors can't take credit for that with chemo. As we've said before, chemo in itself, if you actually have ever been with somebody or experienced it, says right on the little bag that they give it to you in poison. Okay, so in in all of what they're trying to take credit for here, as far as the medical professional end of this, okay, everything at that point of where she expired, her physical body stopped was because all of her life support system, all her major organs stopped, okay? You can't start pumping chemotherapy into that and expect resurrection, okay? So at this point in time, I mean, the actual experience she had of coming back to the body is that the consciousness of what we know or call spirit or soul ignited and started everything back up and what they were looking for was still the deception part of whatever her x-rays and her tests were showing they expected to see the same drastic horrible situation of how everything had failed only to start seeing rejuvenation new life new activity new uh, new bursts of energy yeah, so it kind of blew everybody's mind that all this time that they kept seeing somebody getting better because in most of her medical reports, all of the doctors attending did not expect her to make it back. And when she did, they did not expect she would continue to make it back. 
So again, it comes to what we're sharing here. How much love, how much do you want life to allow yourself to experience it as the newness that it is in every day? And, and for many of us, and I'm sure most people on this call, we're looking at dealing with what we're being taught and understand, even science can prove that everything is just now. No past, no future, present. I mean, we're still trying to lock our minds around that, let alone that there is a past, a now, and probably death that doesn't have a future. Just that, that uh, none of that, those are all words that have given us a hardwired uh, mindset on limiting ourselves to open ourselves to understand what does that mean that everything is right now? What does that mean that everything is an illusion? What does this mean? So when we're talking, sharing, and teaching, we have to be willing to involve people in the stories that help us, help them aware of that. And Orjani gives us a beautiful wealth of a library of facts and experience to help bring people into that moment of taking that next step outside the box. Fantastic. We're going to go back to you, Marianne, and let you bring us up to date on Chapter 11. Marianne, you there? Oh, yes. Chapter 11. Okay, let me have a look. <laughs> You're in that thinking position where you've got your hand on your chin going, mm -hmm. I'm a great thinker. All I'm right. considering everything you've just shared deeply. Um, so chapter 11 is called, Lady, whichever way you look at it, you should be dead. And um, and it, and it really reflects, I think, her experience coming out. People thought, like, people were literally shocked to see her alive. Like they, and they didn't hide it that well either. Um, and particularly her yoga teacher, because her yoga teacher experienced her decline. Like she would turn up to yoga and do her best, and eventually she was just lying on the mat, basically, like almost like sleeping. So the yoga teacher saw it all. So the yoga teacher was the one that like hit it the, le the least and told all her classmates about it and everything. So, um, and and she did not have words. She says on page 94, she doesn't have words to explain what actually happened to her. But one good thing that um, I think really helped her was that Anoop found a website of near-death experiences and there were so many stories like hers um, and she could, it helps her, you know, get, I guess, make her feel like not a, uh, a dinosaur, a foreigner, maybe. I'm not sure these are my words, but I imagine that's what she was feeling when she looked around and she suddenly felt, oh, people understand. Um, on page 95, people talk about the experience of feeling that oneness and no judgment, unconditional love that's in everything. We're all connected, that feeling of expansion. Like she felt all of that. She knew all of that. So um, she, she then posted her story and through that, um, a couple of oncologists met her, found her, and they embarked, they started to then embark on the journey of scrutinizing her story. They went, they literally sat with her massive file in the hospital with her and went through every detail of that file to find the truth about what happened. Was it chemo or was it some miraculous remission? And a specialist in this area said miraculous remission. Okay, real, real good. Uh, let's try to keep our time in mind here because we've gotten quite a bit into this state around two, three minutes each. So let's go to you, Steve. What did you get out of 11, chapter 11? Well, I got when she returned to, um, you know, the activities of her life, uh, as Marianne was saying, people were amazed that she looked so healthy that, you know, the last time they saw her, they thought that that would be the last time. Um her brother uh, introduced her to a near-death experience website, and she found that a lot of the stories that uh, were shared there were similar to her own. And so she submitted her story to the website. She was contacted the next morning by the person who ran the website, and they ended up publishing her story. Um, a doctor found the story, and when he read it, he arranged a trip to Hong Kong, and he was amazed because he thought, from all the reports that he read that she be, she should be dead. He actually presented her entire story in detail at a medical conference. And from that exposure, she was asked to, you know, go onto a radio show 
began to speak publicly and, and was a consultant at the, the Hong Kong University. And there was, there was three things in her history that they couldn't explain. The first one was that her organs had already shut down and they started working again. They couldn't explain that. The, the second thing it was that the tumors reduced in size by 70% in just several days. And to have that much, that many billions of cells assimilate your, the, yourself, themselves into your system without a, a problem was uh, very unusual. They couldn't explain that. And the other was that her wounds healed. She had very severe wounds and they had set up a time to operate on them. And before they could even operate and, and it came to that time, they had already healed themselves. So th those are the three things that they couldn't explain from, from her reports. Isn't that exciting? I mean, isn't that exciting to know that to this, if we can just help people get this information, like I said, all we have to do, and I'm when I say we, I'm talking to our listeners as well. We who actually have the curiosity and the hunger to experience more by learning and, and getting into deeper things, okay, to just sometimes be able to say to a person, that they can help themselves and share some of this little bit of information, gives somebody in a desperate moment the hope and the desire that there's more. And you never know how much you can help a person turn a corner at that point of their life and to actually take take it on into a better place. Okay, let's go on and let uh, Trina give us a couple of minutes here on chapter 11. Yeah, there's a couple other things that jumped out to me besides what uh, Marianne and Steve have already shared. Um, one of them, it seemed like everybody was curious, uh, whether it was people she met, whether it was the doctors, whoever, everyone was curious. It's like, how did she get better so quickly? And nobody really had an answer. And she kept saying, well, I know, um, but it has nothing to do with medicine. Uh, these things with the near-death experiences, um, the doctor, the person who answered her back when her brother sent her the information on the site and she submitted her story, Dr. Jeffrey Long, who was the oncologist, was also the owner of the site. So it made me wonder, as an oncologist, how many stories had he heard? How many, how many um, of these experiences had he heard in his practice to make him really want to start a site about near-death experiences and be able to share this with people. It was amazing that she accepted um, all of these invitations because they invited her to write, they invited her to share, and she just kept saying yes. So a lot of times these invitations open things in your life that allows you to express you. And that's what she kept saying was, she realized she needed to be herself. And each one of these allowed her to give a chance to tell her story, what she had gone through. And also that she said she really felt good that these doctors were getting excited because first it validated her feelings about the fact that she came back for a greater purpose and also her feelings that she could help other people. So she became very open to share. And one of the things that I found with Dr. Ko, who really dove into this and created a conference to share this information, was at the end of his report, the real question was, what flipped the switch? What made the body turn around from dying to healing? What was that? And what it did was it opened up a whole new area for doctors to look at and to begin to research. So I thought that was pretty cool. That's real cool. Very definitely cool. And your question is to, you know, how many cases has he, how is out there? There are, there are hundreds of thousands. I, I would even say let's, there's larger number of population we have. There's millions of stories of near death and death experiences that are there, but it's so intimidating because everybody approaches it from the negative. Morjani showed tremendous uh, willpower to want to make sure people had the information. She was obviously so moved 
when this healing happened that she she accepted that it was just more than her making it that there had to be more that she was here to do and a lot of times people say that in these near-death experiences that i wasn't ready some people actually experience being sent back i went through at least two experiences without being sent back so you keep asking your questions after that, like, well, what am I supposed to do? Where, you know, what does this mean and how to go? But she came back with what I consider a very profound understanding with her eagerness to go ahead and keep sharing her story and to let people know. Uh, I see it as a calling, let's call it that, a calling in her particular experience that she wanted people to know just from her own life experiences and how she felt limited by all of that. Remember how in the book she shares her childhood and all of the particular beliefs and faiths that she was raised with and everything. She had to come back through reincarnation beliefs and practices and all of the whatever the hardwired mindset was that she went with. And that to come in back through this experience, her courage, and I'm telling you that people are so cynical and the doctors and people who are actually interviewing you seem to always want to take the, the negative side of it because they're, they're challenging it. And I, I actually, and I'm sure she has, haven't seen anything in what I've checked so far that she felt people's fear of it. Okay, because people, you realize when they begin to question and that their reaction to your answers that there's a fear, a profound fear of people believing after death. And for her to actually continue to take opportunity after opportunity to get her story out there, to get this information out there, even today, you know, like some of the cruises that I've seen her advertise on, I actually was invited to come on one of the cruises and, and it, it where she actually allows people to hold seances. She works with people who actually have contact with people who are on the other side or in the full conscious state of what we call death. And she, she doesn't have a problem facing all of the medical slander that has been thrown at her for that. Because along with her experience and it being so medically documented, she's reaching back into a world that we're all familiar with to where there are people who can get you back in touch with somebody that's on the other side. And so just to see the courage in this woman and, and, and look at the background she had to come through to where it was, it was a constant challenge for her to get, get to where she needed to be or wanted to be in life. And this opportunity opened that world and, and uh, definitely that opportunity for. And I think we're all very grateful that she's had the courage to take it on and go with it. Okay, let's let LOA close this up for us. Uh, LOA, why don't you give us what you got on chapter 11? I have you are you unmuted? Yes, so a key point in chapter eleven that I found was the the again the enthusiasm because as we're taken through earlier parts of the book, she's saying to us, I felt afraid of this and I felt afraid of that and I was afraid of this and that's when she's sharing that the cancer came about. So without overtly saying it, throughout chapter 11 she shares her euphoria her joy her you know appreciation that the doctors are now taking things seriously so i'm also seeing that this transformation of her feelings that she's letting us know about are also consistent and persistent and so if we're looking at the healing that happened yes there was a euphoric stage that we saw in chapter 10 that we just left when she is said to be completely clear of cancer and what is it that's keeping it clear and I've been listening to her wording and she's joyful she's present so I felt that was a while as I said it's not an overt um, storyline in chapter 11 it's definitely present and the other key part of chapter 11 is that she's she's really allowing people to go beyond the title of that which says whichever way I look at it, lady, you should be dead. 
And this is inviting us to go, it really doesn't matter if there is nobody out there agreeing with you. You're not out there to have to get allies from out there. Because as he says, whichever way he looks at it, she should be dead, but she's obviously not. So obviously there are more ways. And I think chapter 11 is a great reminder to us that we don't know what we don't know. And if we look outside ourselves to keep getting it, it's like that Einstein quote, we won't get the, we won't get the answer by doing the same old, same old. So if we're looking to the medical profession, we can totally appreciate them for what they do, but understand they're working from a particular perspective. And that perspective includes insurance. I have people close to me who are in the medical helping, healing place now, and I really see how very vastly influential the insurance perspective is that you must do it in accordance with ABC because if you don't, you're personally liable if the outcome isn't um, desirable. So then even if we do have the medical people knowing that there are these other ways, for them to actually step out of their own comfort or their own requirements puts them personally liable to even say or suggest, for example, the naturopathy and the others. So when you're listening to the medical people to know it's not just because they're the most um, knowledgeable on the topic, they're within a system. She obviously is still alive and he says there's no other way to be alive. She's alive, so there are other ways. So I think Chapter 11 really opens us to keep questioning, keep looking beyond the normal and know there are these other ways. Muted. Oh, there we go. Come off mute. For me. Exactly, exactly. I'm saying that everything that you're saying is where we're at and the importance of why you're co-hosting and the kind of work that we do and what we agree upon as as actually the energy of this program. And one of the things that come up when you were sharing some of your story was an experience I had in Cleveland, Ohio in one of the hospitals. And there was a little girl in that uh, hospital. She had, I would, I'm going to take a guess of about seven years old. And she was on a floor where there definitely was the medical intensive floor. And at that particular time that I know I was there, I had been called in by a family and uh, they, their beloved was actually expiring. And uh, the little girl was walking down the hallway and I had watched what, because I was at pretty much about three quarters of the way down the hallway with the people I was talking to. And the little girl and her family got off the elevator pretty much at the other end. And as she was coming toward me, I could see all of the energy. Her auric field was very heavy and bright. And as she got closer, she was just jabbering and she would take a minute and actually make her mom stop for a minute by certain doors. And then she just kept journeying in my direction. And pretty much within hearing range of myself, she asked her mommy, why are they doing that? And the mother said, what, what do you mean? And she says, all of the people that are going to heaven immediately go out the window. And the mother had said to her, oh, they're just that that's because they're going to heaven. That's their way to heaven. And then she said, well, why aren't there more windows in the hospital? And in that, I actually, years later, and still do it today, think to myself how I wish, just like when I go to hotels, I like to go into hotels that allow me to open the window in the room. You know what I'm saying? I want to open the window in the room and to actually think of where we will become intelligent enough in learning and, and opening ourselves to all this information to where there will be the day that when we have these beautiful places where we're allowed to transcend with our loved ones, that we will be able to open the doors or the windows if it's necessary, that we allow the expansion of nature and everything that makes up what this planet has to offer in our experience. The planet and the body are one. And in that, when we have that relationship, to know that in those final moments of transcendence, 
that we just let it go and automatically resign ourselves to the all that is. And uh, I thought about that because of you, LOA, and your work in the forest and with the natural environment and everything, how much you are a part of that and how much your experience of that will definitely make you sensitive, very sensitive to all that's being shared here. It's just good to hear, okay? All right, so we're moving into our final minute here, and we ask all of you to join us again next week, and we appreciate very much the time that you've spent with us, and we encourage you to please get the book and explore it yourself, and that's Dying to Be Me by Morjani. We'll catch you next week. Meanwhile, have a fantastic life. Oh. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.